0: Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. I want to speak this morning a little bit about uh, discipleship and missions, because I I reckon those two words are actually one. They go together. If you understand discipleship, you understand mission. If you understand mission, you understand discipleship. And so I want to speak a little bit into that. I love the theme that you have. The mission of the church is mission. It's it's great. And using the two bookends, those two scriptures from Mark chapter one, I believe, and Revelation chapter seven, where Jesus says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter seven, where he says, and I love it again when he speaks to John the Apostle, and he says, come up here, I want to show you something. And it's like he's saying, John, I want to show you something that's so close to my heart. It's the church. It's people. It's men, women, boys and girls, some from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And this is them. This is the picture of them. And, and there's that beautiful picture of that in Revelation chapter 7. The theme that you have, the mission of the church, his mission, it encapsulates the essence of Christian existence, of church existence. We understand why we're here, what are we, what are we about, why are we taking up space on Stafford Street in Penrith. That's what it's about. It gives focus to everyone who owns the name of Jesus, everyone who says, I'm, I'm a Christ one, I'm a Christian And this theme gives focus to everyone who owns Jesus' name. It's mission. It's talking about him. It's doing what he did, doing the same sort of things. But the question remains, what exactly is missions? What exactly does this thing look like when we say the mission of the church is mission? I think we obfuscate or confuse the issues of mission so often. We certainly confuse the issues of what discipleship is really about and Hopefully I can bring some clarity to that this morning, and that's that's my goal. The second page of your booklet answers this question, what what exactly is mission? And I I really enjoyed reading this. Sometimes we see these booklets and we give it a skim over and we don't really soak in all of what's in it, but it's actually uh, very significant of, of what's in here. And particularly here where it says God is not calling us to join a religious order, But to embrace a lifestyle, a life devoted to the mission of introducing people to God. The mission of the church is mission. That's brilliant. And it does encapsulate very, very carefully, very clearly what this is about. It's not doing a mission thing only when we go overseas or when we go down to Marmalanas or we do something else. It actually becomes a lifestyle of, of how we think and how we feel and how we interact and, and how we present Jesus through just who we are. One scripture that clearly answers this question of uh, what is missions, and it's one that I love, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 It says, as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. And I love this verse. I love how it just speaks of what God is doing in the world, and I I love how it speaks of God's grace touching people, God's grace reaching more and more, more and more. It's really good. And it goes on just to say that, There'll be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. And again, that word more is emphasized there. This this verse speaks clearly of what mission is and what discipleship is. It's simply God's grace touching one person at a time, one individual at a time. God's grace reaching out and, and meeting the need of that individual one at a time. Now I recognize, and as I read scripture and look at verses like this, that um, my obsession with world mission kind of draws me to these verses. I, I, I acknowledge that, guilty. Because I look for that, I, I look for what God is doing, and when I read a, a verse like this, and um, it challenges me. It challenges me to ask high-quality questions of myself. How can this happen? Where can this happen? Who can see this achieved? Somebody said that the quality of our lives is often measured by the quality of the questions we're prepared to ask ourselves. And so I feel I have to ask good, good quality questions when I read a verse like this, when I read a scripture like this. Recently the Center for the Study of Global Christianity was published an excellent report and it was regarding Christianity and um, where it's growing in, which, in the global context. And it looked like this. It had the different countries, the continents, the Christians' average annual growth growth rate, years to double before that doubled, uh, the major religions of those countries, percentage of Christians in 1970 and again in 2020. And you see which countries are at the top of the list there. Isn't that interesting? And that's because Nepal, in the last 20 years, has opened from a country that where it was a legal 20. 22 years ago to be a Christian and you'd be placed in jail to a country that's wide open to the gospel. So there's incredible opportunity there and the people are hungry and that's represented here. So is it any wonder we say, Lord, let us let us go through that door. Let's do everything we can in this country while we can, while this country is open. Sandwiched between China and India, it's in a very precarious place. At the top of the world, I love that. Let's take the high places for God. You notice here, a quick breakdown, 19 out of the 20 countries here are in Asia and Africa. 11 of the countries are Muslim-majority countries. There's not a single country mentioned here in Europe, North America or Latin America. Isn't that interesting? The majority of the top 20 countries here are clustered in Eastern Asia, Western Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. Isn't that interesting? Muslim-majority countries. So God's grace is reaching more and more people, and we're seeing that. These statistics encourage us, and they surprise us of where the gospel is growing fastest in the world. But look at this, this graph, and it speaks of the world of the population, 6 billion, this is actually out of date, it's 7 billion now. We seem to be able to breed quickly, don't we? So this one-third represents those who have heard the gospel and said, yes, please, and this would be the broad aspect of people in the world who have said, I'm a Christian, and it may be Christian name only, but one-third of the world's population have said we're Christian. One-third of the world's, Christian, world's population rather have heard the gospel and said, no, thank you, that's not for me. And then there's still yet one-third who are yet to hear and understand in the context, in the language that they understand. And they yet to hear for the first time the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible statistic in our world in this day. But there it is. So my question is how? How can God's grace reach more and more people? How can God's grace do this? And I guess the answer is obvious, it can only happen as God's people embrace a lifestyle and embrace the commission that Jesus gave us. Now notice that it's a commission. It's what he was doing, it's doing it with him. It's repeating exactly the same things that Jesus himself was doing. It's not our mission, it's a co-mission with God. We walk with God in this. He said, and by the way, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I love that commission in Matthew 28, he says to the disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is that it? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So, God's plan A is for disciples to make disciples, locally and internationally. If we each make disciples, then more and more people will understand the grace of God. So how's that working out 2,000 years after Calvary? Calvary. How's that working out for us? How are we doing with that? I guess we can only ask the question, how am I doing with that? We can't really speak for other people, but we have to speak for ourselves. How am I doing with that? Last night I shared a testimony of how I'm learning to become a disciple. And I guess I've been on the road of being a disciple for a long time, but I've got a lot to learn. God's still teaching me. God's still training me. God's still drawing me closer to him and, and understanding more of who he is and, and letting me see glimpses and more and more of his heart for people and his, his love for people. And I'm always amazed as we go throughout Nepal and we'll go to another village or an orphanage or, or speak to another person or sometimes just driving down the road and you can look into the lives of people and, and God gives me a, an insight. It's like a glimmer. I love that one. I love that one. And I have to take notice of that as I'm learning to be a disciple. As we go into communities or villages and we realize there's no churches here. There are none. And we train a guy and we kind of put him into this village or he goes there and he he starts from scratch in terms of planting a church. and, And I have to I have to believe God. I have to have faith that God will keep the guy, that God will keep his family, that they'll be safe there, that that things will work out and they will actually get a church started out of nothing in a town, sometimes a city, where there's no other Christians. A few days ago, I was telling John last night, I, I woke, I was kind of in that sleepy stage one morning and a few days ago, and I had this thought that came to mind What is the question God is going to ask when we go and see him in glory? And the thought came to mind, well, you know, we measure Christianity by, well, someone's a Christian. How do you know someone's a Christian? Well, they go to church, they read the Bible, they tithe and give funds to mission and to the church, and they they try to live a good life. And I thought, what if God was asking a different question? Wouldn't that be interesting? What if the question that God asked when we go to glory and we see Him, if the question He asked was, say, how, many, how did you go making disciples? What if that was the only question God asked? How did you get on as a disciple of mine making other disciples? Oh. What if the question that we use to measure Christianity in our world today was, how do we get on making disciples? Wouldn't that be interesting? Man, it's getting real quiet in here. I went to see the movie The War Room. Who's seen The War Room? It's a great movie. A number of people have seen it. Now, in the cinema that I went to to see that, there was a couple of places through the movie that the whole audience applauded. And I thought that was great. I thought that was wonderful. And one of the times was when the main actor, the older lady there, She'd been making it the disciple of the younger lady and been teaching her about the war room and about praying. And you remember that. And then she said, and you need to go and teach other people to do the same thing. And everybody applauded. I thought, that's fantastic. And I realized that we actually love the idea of doing that. We love the idea of, yeah, get out there. Let's teach others to do the same thing. What we're talking about, of course, is discipleship. I thought, isn't that interesting? Now, if I asked everybody here, do, would you put your hand up if you are a disciple of Jesus? I'm sure most of the congregation here would put your hand up, and I won't embarrass anybody or ask that. But I'm sure most of us would say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But you know, maybe before we're too quick to do that, we should ask, well, what does that mean? What does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And I love to keep things simple, so I kind of put it in these terms One who follows. I should remember I've got a PowerPoint in front of me, shouldn't I? One who learns from Jesus and one who does the same things as Jesus. So I look at these simple areas as this is what it means to be a disciple. Understanding that discipleship lays the foundation for genuine mission experience. In fact, discipleship lays the foundation of a genuine Christian experience. It provides a big picture of where we're meant to be going as Christians. It gives a reasoning of why we share our faith, why we talk about Jesus to other people. It provides a process of maturity for individuals who are Christians and for churches, for congregations together as they grow together. And maturity is a big deal here. Maturity really is a big deal. If we ask the question, why is the church seeming to miss the boat on discipleship and miss the boat on mission in our world today, it's largely because many want to stay baby Christians and not grow up in their faith. They don't want to stretch into the the deeper things of faith and the deeper things of what God is asking into our lives. So I believe that discipleship actually provides a process of maturity, if we understand it well. And I pray that each of us see ourselves and believe ourselves to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship is... batteries going, man. It's starting to go down a bit. Yep, yeah. all good? Uh, must be good. Discipleship is the pattern that Jesus learned from the Father. Here it says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So discipleship, Jesus learned from the father. He says, I only do what I see dad doing. I only say those things that dad tells me to say and I've seen him say it. That's really what he's saying there. Discipleship is what Jesus modeled to... The 12 disciples, it was a process, it was a change of mind, if you like. He was taking these guys from saying, if he said, well, who are you? And they'd say, well, I'm a fisherman. I know how to catch fish. But at the end of their life, they would say, if you ask them who they are, they'd say, well, I'm a fisher of men. I'm a disciple of Jesus. So it's what he modeled. He showed them how to be fishers of men. And in Mark chapter 1 it says that Simon and Andrew were casting their fishing net, and Jesus said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Discipleship is the primary command that Jesus gave to all Christians, all disciples of his. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, for 30 years I guess I've been working in missions and working in with New Tribes Mission in various parts of the world and with uh, various people groups all around the world and, and recently with International Mission Ministries where, again, we're in different parts of the world. And I want to tell you, when we go and see a church planted in a remote area of Nepal, I don't tell the church planters there that people in the West don't share their faith. I don't tell the people there that people in the West generally are not real clear on discipleship and what it means to make other disciples. You hear what I'm saying? What we do tell them is that we need to be sharing our faith. We need to be making disciples. That is the normal Christian life, if you like, to be doing that. Because that's the biblical standard. Sometimes I feel like I live in two different worlds where this word discipleship means something different in Australia than what it does in other parts of the world. It's kind of weird like that. Because I speak about discipleship in Australia and it's like we cloud over and say, whoa, what's that? What exactly is that? Because it's been obfuscated, it's been confused, and the issues of it have been confused so much that we, we don't understand the simplicity of what it means to be a disciple very much more in Australia. or we feel is something more than simply what the Bible says. So our question is, how can God's grace reach more and more people? And I believe it will only happen as we understand discipleship and we behave or have a lifestyle of a disciple. So, a disciple is, and I like this simple illustration of that, this simple definition if you like, one who follows. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, Simon and Andrew are casting their fishing net. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's not like Twitter, you know. I believe you can go on Twitter today and you can become a follower of Katy Perry and be one of the 74 million people in the world who are followers of Katy Perry on Twitter. You can follow Justin Bieber, I guess, and there's 67 million people who are following Justin Bieber on Twitter today. A lot of people you can follow. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? Again, one of the challenges that we have is how we kind of confuse the issues of this. I came across this on the internet. I simply Googled, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And he came up with this... uh, you Ubud thing from Crossroads Fellowship, it's the wheel deal, and uh, this is great for a first world country, you've got all their act together, but who can do all of these things? Doesn't this confuse the issues of simply what it means to be a follower, and how come it doesn't speak of the teachings of Jesus, and passing on the teachings of Jesus, or discipling other people? How come? Isn't that interesting? Discipleship of Jesus has been made into some, in that wheel, it's been made into some middle class sophisticated formula and it doesn't work. Because we look at that and I look at that and I say, man, how can that happen, you know, where you know, you're physically balanced, professionally skilled, financially free, there we go, spiritually mature, intellectually wise, emotionally healed and relationally healthy. Could you put your hand up if you got it all together? Kyle Eidelman, in his best-selling book, Not a Fan, he poses the question, how do you know that you're not just a fan of Jesus but a genuine follower? And that's a great question. He says, what do you answer when you're asked, how do you measure your relationship with God? How do you measure that? What do you answer when somebody asks you, how do you measure your relationship with God? People say, of course, I go to church, they read the Bible, believe in God, and they feel his presence. God say, okay, okay, tell me a story. Tell me a story of your relationship with God that describes that relationship with God. Tell me the stories that you have with Jesus and, and what it's been about in, in you walking with Jesus and how he's interacted in your life and, him, and what you know about him personally tell me the story. And the illustration, of course, is if I was to describe my relationship with my wife, Donna, I'd tell you how I fell in love with her and how I met her. I'd tell you how she's changed me and how she's made me a better man as I've come to know her better and how she's influenced my life. I'd tell you how she's not really a Christian until she's had a cup of tea in the morning. You know? I could tell you the stories of why I love her and the impact of her influence on our children and and what that's meant as I have observed her life. And I tell you the stories of that. And what are the stories that you tell of your relationship with Jesus? Because when it speaks about being a follower of Jesus, this is really where it's going into. Being a follower of Jesus means being daily in relationship with him, being taken up by him. Not just knowing about him, not just knowing about the miracles that he performed, but it's knowing him personally, intimately, knowing he's, he's here, he's, he's with me, knowing he's inside me, knowing he's motivating this, this thing through his sprite, his spirit in me and through me and, and reaching out and, and empowering me and in, encouraging me and lifting me up to love and to care and to touch other people's lives, knowing that, knowing the reality of that. I think of the Apostle Paul, he said, you know, he he tells a story and he, he says, I've been through a lot of things. I've done a lot of things and I've been through a lot of things, he says. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. Now here's the Apostle Paul and he's actually almost at the end of his life when he writes this. He's near the end of his ministry. And he's not saying I want to know more about him, I want to know about his miracles and what he said said, No, I want to know him. I want him. I want him to be a part of everything that I'm feeling and thinking every moment of my life if that was possible. That's really what he's saying. So Paul is saying you need stories. Stories are what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A disciple is one who learns from Jesus. In Matthew 11, verse 28, 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love there, and it's highlighted, it says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Now, as you know, Jesus was a yoke maker. He was a carpenter. He shaped the yokes for different oxen at different times, and he, he shaped them perfectly to who they were or, or their size and their shape, and, and he knew what it meant to shape a yoke. And he now he says, now I've got a yoke, and I want to I shape my yoke of, of what I'm about, onto you. I want to put you in this yoke with me, in fact, he says. So Jesus is not only a yoke maker, he's a yoke mate. He becomes the other oxen, if you like, in the yoke. It's a a double yoke here. And when they put oxen in a yoke, they'd always put a younger one with an older one. And the younger one would be trying to go here or pull there and do different things. But the older yoke, the mature yoke, he knows exactly where to go. And he keeps him steady and he keeps him true. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He says, I want you to learn from me. I want you to be so tied to me that you're learning from me. You're with me and allowing me to pull you and push you, if you like, in the right way to be doing those things. He's saying, be prepared to be harnessed to me. Many people are coming to Jesus. How many are learning from Jesus? Many people are coming to our churches and they learn about the church. They learn about the philosophy of the church or the philosophy of the, the movement or the denomination or they'll learn about God or about the Bible. And Jesus said, I want you to learn of me. I want you to come to me and learn from me in this world. And Guys, I think that's what it means to be a disciple. More than learning the customs and the traditions of the group that we're a part of, it's learning from him. Directly learning from Jesus in Mark 4 verse 14, he says he appointed twelve, designating them as apostles that may, they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. So the Scripture highlights this personal, intimate, experiential knowledge and genuine a genuine disciple has with Jesus. A reminder that the twelve walked with Jesus every day. Hey, have you ever thought about that? For three years, every day they're walking with Jesus and they're going from village to village. They're only in one village or town or city for two or three days a week, something like that, and they'd go to another one and then they'd go to another one and every one Jesus would go and tell stories and tell parables and I reckon those disciples probably heard the parables hundreds and hundreds of times. It's estimated that they did hear the same parables hundreds of times. It reminds me of my kids in the early days who were preaching around West Australia and one day my, one of my boys came with me and he says Dad, you want me to preach it tonight? I think I know this message. <laughs> I think it was like that with the disciples you know. They hung out with him. They walked with him. They followed him. They heard the story again and again and again. And that's how they learned. And they learned from him. Day to day they walked with him. They learned from him. Friends, we're not disciples of a set beliefs or customs. We are learners of a lifestyle. We didn't sign up to a religious movement. We signed up to be disciples of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is not a million miles away. He's right here. He's ready to teach us. He's ready to comfort. He's ready to care. He's ready to guide every moment of every day. He's not a million miles away. And finally, a disciple, I believe, is one who does the same things that Jesus did. In John 14, verse 12, and this is an incredible scripture, it says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the same works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Don't you find that an amazing scripture? They will do the same things I've been doing. So a disciple is not just one who follows Jesus, but one who learns from Jesus. It then becomes one who does exactly what Jesus was doing. In our sphere of influence, it doesn't mean you have to go to Galilee and wander around for three years. But within our sphere of influence, we do exactly what Jesus was doing. And we show that we're a disciple by doing what Jesus was doing. In John's Gospel, there's 21 different distinct times that the Apostle, uh, that, sorry, in John's Gospel that Jesus affirmed that he'd been sent of the Father. 21 distinct different times. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 5:24. whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me. So 21 different times he affirmed he'd been sent, that the Father had sent him again and again. Now, if it's recorded 21 times, I wonder how many times the apostles heard Jesus say that. Probably hundreds of times. And then, of course, it's brought together. These 21 times come together in John chapter 20, 21, when after Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection, and all of the disciples are gathered and they're hiding in that, that upper room, and the scripture says Jesus just appeared amongst them. Well, that must have been quite something. And what did he say? His first thing he said to them, as the Father, he said, peace be unto you. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And I'm sure as he looked around at that room, as he looked into the eyes of those, those people that were gathered there, not one of them would have thought, oh, I get it. You're sending me to do my own thing. Not one. Every single one in that room knew exactly what Jesus was saying he was saying, I want you to go and do what I've been doing. The things that you've been seeing me doing, the lifestyle you've watched me living, these are the things that I now want you to do. Not one person in that room would have doubted that that's what Jesus meant. I'm sure of it. So, what's happened? How is our Christianity? become more about going to church and reading our Bible and praying and tithing than it is about influencing other people in our sphere of influence towards the Lord Jesus Christ. What's happened with that? When was the last time you crossed the chicken line and you spoke up? A couple of weeks ago, there was a girl who came to my door and she was selling um, it was something for... Uh, I guess, disadvantaged children worldwide. And I said, well, I'm interested in that. And uh, so I listened to her. And I was talking to her for a little while, and she said, are you a Christian? What a great question. Yes, I'm a Christian. And she said, I became a Christian last week. And she said, is there something about, you know, talking to you and the conversation that we're having? And she just, straight away, she didn't hesitate. She crossed that chicken line, and she said, this is who I am. I love that. And I thought, oh, I get it. Okay, you've only been a Christian a little while. You haven't been to church and been around long enough to learn, oh, that can be dangerous, doing that sort of stuff. Right? When was the last time you crossed the chicken line? When was the last time in the supermarket where somebody was struggling with their money to pay? You didn't pull out some dollars and say, Look, let me bless you here in Jesus' name, where you go? When you saw somebody struggling and, uh, and they just needed healing or something, and you went to them and put your hand on them and said, Let me pray for you? When was the last time in Jesus' name we started to do the works of Jesus and, and the stuff that Jesus did? Because that's what he's talking about. That's what it means to be a disciple. So, what did Jesus do? Jesus introduced teaching about love that is almost unheard of prior to his coming. He spoke about the love of God. He spoke about the love for women, and I was just taken in the video that we saw of that girl who said this she was influenced because she heard of Jesus' teaching about how he treated women and love. Teaching that was revolutionary. Talking about a relationship with God, not just doing the law and keeping the law, but now into relationship. This is what Jesus did. There's a number of things that define what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, and this is one of the major things that defined the earthly ministry of Jesus. He brought teaching about love, love one another, love the Father. He brought teaching on the kingdom. And as a disciple, we get to teach, we get to preach. I've said it before, the preaching is not just behind a pulpit in front of a congregation. We preach every single day of our lives. We speak out and our lives speak out. We speak out with our words and we speak out with our actions. Every single day of our lives we get to preach and teach. Jesus' second thing that defined his earthly ministry, that he gave his life for our salvation. Martin Luther King said, If a man hasn't something he's willing to die for, he isn't fit to live. And the very profound words there from Martin Luther King. And really, what he's speaking about is, and I, I'm sure when, when Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, I'm sure those disciples looked at him and said, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean, like, I just saw what happened to you a few days ago, right? You mean, I've got to die? I'm going to be crucified. What Jesus is saying here is you've got to be prepared to give up the rights of your own life. You've got to be prepared to lay down some stuff that you might want for the of stuff that God wants in your life. Hey, and for some, it'll mean die. We know there are many who are dying for their faith in their world today. For some, it'll mean literally laying down their life in that way. But Jesus was really saying the essence of it, and I want you to hear me here, is he was saying, I want you to forfeit the right for your own life. As we come to him and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, that word Lord means he's the boss. He's the one who calls the shots. Now it's, it's not me so much calling the shots of my own life. Now I, I recognize who the one is who calls the shots of my life, and I won't say no, Lord. The ultimate prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ was, not my will, but his be done. And that's what he's talking about. These are the things that the Lord Jesus did. I'll never forget being in Chattisgo and Pune and speaking with church planters there. And they said, would you pray for me? i said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And these guys, one after another, they'd come to me and say, would you pray that I've got courage to go back to the village where I'm planting a church? They said, they'll kill me if I go back there. They said, they'll kill my family. So pray that I'll have the courage to go and do that. I said, What are you going to do? He said, I'm going back. Of course I'm going back. I kind of humbles you when you speak to people like that. So we get to do the same thing. We call him Lord, and I think of Romans 12 there, I brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And lastly, the things that I guess, dominated and defined the ministry of Jesus was that he modeled disciple-making. This is perhaps the most underestimated part of Jesus' ministry on earth, is that he discipled 12 ordinary people, and we know that. We know they were just fishermen, they were just yobbos. They were ordinary people. They were Westies, if you like. (laughs) He discipled these 12 ordinary people to change the world. And these 12 ordinary people started a movement that today has 2.5 billion people, members. As members. It started with 12 very ordinary people. And they simply did what Jesus did. They repeated the teachings of Jesus and the, the love of Jesus. They gave up the rights to their own life, and they went out and they did what Jesus did. They said, well, I remember the stories. I can repeat that story. I can talk about the love of Jesus. I can pray for healing for people and see them raised up in Jesus' name. I can do that. I can do whatever God has put into my hand according to my personality, according to my passion, according to my potential, and the sphere of influence that God gives me in this world, that's all those 12 guys did. Believe it or not, And they changed the world, and they turned the world upside down. So how is it that the majority of Christians do not live as disciples of Jesus? How is it? How does that work in this world today? Has Christianity in Australia become more about attending church and less about a lifestyle of making disciples? So how can God's grace reach more and more people? Well, it's done best when all who are in Jesus' name become genuine disciples, when we understand what discipleship is and we simply seek to influence people around us, becoming one who follows, one who learns, one who does the same things as Jesus. The result is that God's grace reaches more and more people and God will receive more and more glory. These are the bookends of mission. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In Revelation, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before me, before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Guys, I lived for that day. I... Leave and breathe for that day. When people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation will gather together and say salvation belongs to our God. Because that's what will go into eternity. So much of the stuff we see around us won't go into eternity. But people will go into eternity. Amen? Father, would you give us grace to take a hold of discipleship. Help us to keep it simple. Simply following you, learning of you, and doing what Jesus did. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. I thank you for this church. And, Father, thank you for the desire that's in this church to honor you with all of our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org dot org